My name is Jay Trailer, and I bring you greetings from your baby sister, the new church plant down in Stanton. I'd like to spend some time in Romans 8 today. If you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible app, open it to Romans 8. We're going to be in verses uh, 18 through 25. There we go. So previously, so far in Romans up through chapter 8, Paul has been talking about the sinful condition of humanity, the internal condemnation that each and every one of us deserve, and the salvation that is available, but only available, through Jesus' death and resurrection. And how when we get that salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ, through whom we are adopted as sons and daughters. This is wonderful. And so you have to ask, how do we get from that to the beginning of our passage here, where he's talking about suffering? Because being united to Christ means sharing in both his suffering and sharing in his, in his resurrection in that order. A little bit before uh, where this passage starts, go back to verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. If if feeling good in life is the goal, Christianity might not be for you. But if being caught up and being a part of the redemption of all things that the creator of the universe is doing for his own glory and for the good of all those who call upon his name, if that is the goal, then Christianity very much has something to say about suffering and its place in our lives and in the world. Let me pray for us as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our ears so that we can hear your truth. We ask that you can open our hearts so that that truth can change us. We ask that you would quicken our hands and feet as we live out that truth in your world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is suffering in this world. All of us can feel it. Whether it is suffering for the sake of the gospel or suffering because of the consequences of your own sin, or suffering because of the consequences of someone else's sin. Suffering has a very specific purpose in, the, in God's plan of redemption. As Christians, we are baptized into the death of Christ, and we are called, in a certain sense, we are actually called to participate in the sufferings of Christ. The purpose of those sufferings has nothing to do with showing either ourselves or each other how holy we are. It has nothing to do with building up credit with God so that he can then bless us later. The purpose of our suffering in this world has two reasons. To solidify our identification with, Je to solidify our identification with Jesus as God refines us and molds us and burns off the dross so that only the gold can remain. And our suffering has the, has the purpose of participating in the working out of God's story of redemption in his creation. Because for reasons that we might never understand this side of glory, often the mission of God is worked out in his creation through suffering. If you think about the, st the story of how the early church spread, it was through suffering and it was through sharing in that suffering. When Jesus had given his final instructions to the disciples after the resurrection, he said that they were going to go spread his gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to all the ends of the earth. And a group of, uh, the, the reason 
that the, the, the disciples ever left Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, there was massive revival that broke out and the church in Jerusalem was growing. And the only reason that they left is because they started getting persecuted. A group of Jewish leaders, actually led by the guy who wrote this letter of Romans, led by Paul, a group of Jewish leaders started persecuting Christians and he forced them to flee the city. And so they fled the city into Samaria and Judea where the gospel broke out again just as Jesus said it would. And from there, throughout the rest of the book of Acts, as the church spreads, the apostles are getting chased around, they're getting thrown in prison, they're getting shipwrecked, beaten, and all the while, they're meeting new people, they're forming new relationships, they're telling about the story of Jesus and redemption, and the church is growing. The church has almost always grown through suffering and sharing in that suffering. Okay, so, the church grows through suffering, great. What are we supposed to do with the suffering that we feel in this world? Are we just supposed to just suck it up, shut off our feelings, turn off that part of our brain that feels pain and sorrow, and just kind of get on with it? I act that way a lot. I don't think that's how God calls us to act. Because what I just described is basically called stoicism. It's an ancient Greek philosophy that says that the plan for life is completely unknowable. Everything is random chance. And so the, the way to achieve the good life is to be indifferent to the whims of pleasure or pain, since most of life seems to be random chance anyway. And there is, when you hear that, the idea of just kind of turning off your feelings and getting on with it. There is actually a kernel of biblical truth to that, which is why it's easy to look at that point of view and say, hey, that sounds like how Jesus calls us to live. But no, because in a stoic worldview where everything is random chance and so you just shut off your feelings, in a stoic worldview, there is no creator. There is no plan of redemption. You just suck it up, shrug it off, and you're going to die whenever fate has you to die. But maybe the way to alleviate suffering is to kind of become detached from our desires, to just be present. That's what Buddhism would tell us, or at least the form of Buddhism that's become very popular in the States in the last 70-ish years. You know, they trim out the part where if you're poor or um, crippled, that's entirely your fault, and there's nothing that can be done about it. Um, but the Buddhism that's become popular in this country would say that the, the way to alleviate suffering is to become detached from our desires. And the way, to, the way to detach ourselves is entirely based on you. You have to do the work. You're the one who has to think and work your way into right action and right point of view and right mindfulness. So, you know, good luck. Best of luck to you. But what that kind of mindset doesn't address is why why is there suffering in this world? Does it have a purpose? And a, and a Stoic philosophy or a Buddhist philosophy can't address that because they don't believe in a personal creator God who has a will and a decree and a purpose that he is working out in his creation. So why does suffering exist? For many, for many, many people, one of the biggest obstacles when you think about belief in God, one of the biggest obstacles is, is what's called the problem of evil which could easily be called the problem of suffering. How can a God who is all-powerful and yet also the perfect embodiment of love, how could such a God allow such suffering in his creation? Either he's not really all-powerful or he's not really all-loving. And this trips up a fair number of Christians too. How can God allow so much suffering in the world? How can he allow so much suffering in this region, in this city, in my church, in my house? How can God allow this? I mean, I, I get it when bad people suffer, right? Because they're bad. But 
why me? Why my sister? Why my best friend? Why did I have a miscarriage? Why can't I find work in the field that I just really know that God is leading me into? Why can't I find a job? Why did that perfect guy that I met at church just completely ghost me after a couple months and now I can't trust anybody? Why did the pastor of our parent church, who's in relatively good health and who's my age, and I'm not a kid, but I'm not old, why has he been in the ICU for the last couple weeks due to pneumonia brought on by coronavirus? Why? Why does God hit us in the head with a hammer? Is it just because it feels so good when it stops? But it's not just us. And that's what we have to realize from this passage in Romans. It's not just us, it's all of creation. It's not just Christians who suffer, it's not just human beings who suffer. It is all of creation that suffers. And it has since sin was introduced into the perfect world in the Garden of Eden. Verse 20. For the creation, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That means Adam. When Adam brought sin into the world. Um, because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. God is saying here that mankind's sin not only affected us and not only affects our relationship with God and our relationship with one another, but as image bearers of God, as the only part of his creation that has that expressed title, as image bearers of God with our unique role, our sin actually affected creation itself. And all of creation has been suffering and groaning since sin was introduced into the perfect world. When you think about sin, when you think about creation, suffering as a result of sin, use that as a way to remember that when Paul here is talking about suffering, he is not saying that we suffer for a little while, but then life gets all peachy once we have Jesus. That is not what is going on. Um, my, one of my professors from seminary, Peter Lee, says that we do people a disservice when we attempt to comfort believers by saying that when Paul refers to suffering in this present time, that... He's just talking about right now, this moment, this season. In the life of the church, this is still Dr. Lee, in the life of the church and in the life of the individual believer, there is rarely a time of respite from trial and hardship. And most of the church throughout history knows this very well. Most of the church worldwide today knows this very well. For, for American Christians, the blessing of being born when we were born and living in the land that God has called us to live in is that by and large, we have a safety and a stability that much of, the, much of the rest of the world will simply never know. The challenge of being born when we were born and living in the land that God has put us in is that we tend to believe that the story that the culture around us is telling us, that security and stability are the default position, that happiness is the goal, and that any deviation from that, from that baseline or that goal is an aberration that needs to be stamped out. If the goal of your life as a Christian, if the goal of your life is stability and security, then suffering is absolutely going to get in the way of that. If the goal of your life is liberty and the pursuit of happiness, then suffering is a huge obstacle toward that goal. But if the goal of our life is to become more and more like Jesus, to focus more and more of our thoughts on him and our actions on him, and to focus more of our life on him, then our suffering genuinely has a purpose. Part of being the church 
is to, to learn and to embody a liturgy that centers us on God and what he is doing in his creation in order to push back against the liturgy that the world would have us learn and inhabit, where I'm the star of the show and I have to look at the suffering around me and look at the suffering in my own life and either somehow fix it or suck it up or ignore it or collapse into it. Those are the only options. Being a Christian means being a light that shines into the darkness. And with each and every believer, that light grows. And the darkness is pushed back a little bit more. In verse 19, it says that, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? We are. Each and every one of us, men and women. We are adopted as firstborn sons. And usually in the Bible, when it, when you'll see like male-only language, like if, you know, someone is walking down the street and he goes into a house, that's often just because that's the way that things were written back then. Um, in this specific case, when it says that we are adopted as firstborn sons of God, that's really specific. Because back in that time and at that place, firstborn sons received the inheritance. They were the beneficiaries. They were the one who were lavished on. And so each and every one of us, men and women, young and old, when we are united to Christ, we are adopted as firstborn sons because that's what Jesus is. We inherit all the privileges and benefits that Jesus did. And if creation has been groaning for the revealing of Christians, then each new believer uses their light to push back against the darkness and alleviates the suffering of creation a tiny bit. Verse 23 not only the creation in terms of suffering, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope in the Bible doesn't mean what it's come to mean in our language today. When we talk about hope, it's, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. And that just basically means, I wish that it wouldn't rain tomorrow. When, hope, and when, when Paul is talking about hope, he is talking about the, the future promise of something that is absolutely guaranteed. It just hasn't happened yet. In our diocese, our diocese is called the Diocese of Christ, our hope. And the symbol is an anchor. And that's always been the, the symbol of hope in the church because our are, we, are, um, we are part of a promise that God has made and we are anchored in the sure certainty of a future event. And so we are being dragged forward in time to that sure, sure and certain future event. And that's where our hope is. Our hope is anchored in the resurrection of all things. We know that in life there is suffering. But what is our hope that we eagerly await? It's resurrection. Heaven comes down to earth. Everything is made new. And God's creation and all of God's people are made new and unbreakable forever. So, if you remember nothing else to, from today, remember these three things. When there is suffering in your life, in your house, in your, in your city, in your world, remember this about suffering. Life is not random chance. There is a creator God who is in control. The terrible evil in this world, the tragedies that make absolutely no sense to us, God is using them for his purposes, and we do not always know what they are. There's a line from David French 
who said, recall at the end of the book of Job, when the righteous, suffering man, Job, demands an explanation for his plight from the God of the universe. And the God of the universe basically responds with an extended soliloquy that essentially declares, I'm God and you're not. And what, and what is Job's response? He says, I, I lay my hand on my mouth. How shall I answer you? I am of small account. As a consequence, while there are many, many, many things that we can know about God because he has revealed them to us and many more that we can learn as we deepen in our Christian faith, we must approach both our faith and our world with a sense of existential humility. So that's thing one. Remember, life is not random chance. Remember this number two. When all you can do in the midst of suffering is cry out with groaning and wailing and pain and rage, when you don't even have words for, for what you're feeling. Remember that the Holy Spirit groans along with you. That's what the, the next verses in this Roman, Romans passage says. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts, that's God the Father, he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when life is hard, cry out to God, even if it's literally just a cry. And know that the Holy Spirit cries out along with you. Number three, know that the suffering of this life, no matter how huge it seems, no matter how painful it is, it is, even, it is not even worthy of comparison to the radiant glory that awaits us in new creation. Paul says that, we, that just as we share in Jesus' sufferings, we will also be glorified with him. Just as Jesus has been exalted and given the promise of the fullness of the kingdom of God, so in the same way, after the sufferings of this life, we will participate in the glory that God the Father gives to God the Son. Verse 18, for I, com for I consider that the sufferings of this, time, of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is not a statement of balance that we're going to get bad things now, but we're going to get good things later. This is not weighing two things against each other. This is a statement of massive imbalance. Paul says that the ratio is so disproportionate that they aren't even worthy of comparison. There is suffering in our life. There is suffering in our world. God is with us all the time. And the sufferings that we, that we experience now, they are not to be shoved to the side or ignored. God is using them to refine us and God is using them for his purposes in his creation. But those sufferings that we feel now are going to be outweighed so much by the glory of, the res of, of living with resurrected bodies on a new earth in the presence of Jesus. They are not even worthy of comparison. Anchor your hope in that. Let's pray. God, we ask you to increase our faith this week in what Christ has already done. We ask you to increase our hope in the sure promise of what will happen. And in this in-between time, Lord, we ask that you would be with us in our suffering, that you would use it to your glory, and that you would use it to further unite us to Christ and to one another. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.